Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. The last several weeks, we've been looking at the Old Testament and seeing how Jesus shows up in stories in the Old Testament. We're gonna, we're gonna kind of pause that and take a look at what today represents. Today, in, by the church calendar and in Christian history, is considered Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is representative of the, of the final time Jesus would enter Jerusalem with his disciples to celebrate Passover. And what Passover is, if you don't know, it's basically the celebration of the anniversary when God freed um, the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so once a year, everyone would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem um, as, as often as they could yearly to celebrate the Passover. And so this is Jesus's final entry into Jerusalem. And so at the end of every service, I've always sat down in the chair and read from a little children's devotion. And and my wife has just loved it. She's like, you got to have a story this week. Guess what, guys? No chair. Guess what that means? No story this week, okay? But I promise you will understand why um, by the end of this message. And so we're gonna pick up in the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the third book in the Gospels, um, Luke chapter 19. And this is Jesus's entry, what we call Palm Sunday, into Jerusalem for the final time. So turn to Luke chapter 19. I'm off. Am I on? So the last three weeks, I've just had horrible cotton mouth. And if you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody and you have cotton mouth, try speaking in public when you have cotton mouth and it is um, magnified. So if I take a drink, I apologize. But we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. Um, Starts here. It says, as he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, says, Jesus sent two disciples ahead. Go into the village over there. So he says, just go over there. He told them, and he says, as you enter it, you will see a young donkey there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, what are you doing with my donkey? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, how great would that be if we wanted to go take something and somebody's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, hey, the Lord needs it. Sometimes I do that. It's like, hey, my wife needs it, right? That gets you out of all kinds of trouble. But so what happens is they go into the town and they get the donkey and they bring it back to Jesus. And when they bring it back to Jesus, they put their garments over top of the donkey for him to sit on. So it's kind of like the saddle that Jesus is sitting on. And so Luke 19, verse 36 through 38, it says that as he rode along, The crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. 
And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so to paint a picture here, um, it, it wasn't just a few thousand that was in the city of Jerusalem. We're talking like hundreds of thousands, possibly a couple of million that make the pilgrimage there. And so Jesus is walking in or riding in this parade and people see him coming out and they rush out to meet him and they walk alongside of him singing and they're shouting, throwing their garments down and they have palm branches waving over him as he's coming into the city. Something like many of us probably have never seen or experienced unless you've been to like a Super Bowl champion um, like parade. Like I remember in high school, our sophomore year, we went to the state finals and we did not win. We came in second. But when we got back to Adamsville, and I grew up in a town of 1,500, y'all, this was a big deal. They shut the city down. Like all the stores closed. They turned off the one red light that we had so we could just travel right through it. But here's, here, here's the thing. Like it was unlike anything I've ever experienced as a 15, 16-year-old. This is millions at a parade. And so when you look at Jesus' life, where he's at now, this is like the pinnacle moment. Everything that he's experienced is crescendoing up to this. He was born in obscurity in a manger. No one knew about it except a few shepherd and some wise men that the savior of the world was, was born that way. And then we know very little about his life. He begins his ministry at 30 years old. And so for the next three years, he's traveling the area. He's preaching the kingdom of the good news. He's healing the sick. And he is... Um, praying for people who have demons possessed, like praying demons out of them. And so all this ministry is taking place over three years. And so he goes from a nobody to a somebody, a nobody that very few people knew to now that millions are coming out to witness this event, riding in on a donkey. And so we would call these folks um, people that are on the Jesus bandwagon, um, and, and we all know those people, especially like in sports, you know, we have those ride or die fans and their teams are like horrible and they're supporting, supporting even in the, the lean years. But then when they start winning, what happens to everybody else? They're all fans, right? It's like the Grizzlies for several years weren't doing very well. And then they got Ja Moran and, you know, Jaron Jackson, the unicorn. You guys don't know anybody that I'm talking about, right? But now they are the second greatest team in the NBA and everybody's a Grizzlies fan, right? You guys are Grizzlies fans, right? Like, no, I never even watched basketball, Stephen, right? But that's what happens. We jump on the bandwagon. And so everybody now essentially has jumped on the Jesus bandwagon. And here's why. Okay, he's riding in on this donkey. And really what, what we know here now is that it is the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy that was, that was written down 500 years before this event. In Zechariah chapter nine, verses nine through 10, he writes this. He says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is what? Humble, Humble riding on a donkey, and in fact, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel. 
and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring what, guys? Peace to the nations. It says his realm will stretch from the sea to the Euphrates River and into the ends of the earth. And so he's riding in on this donkey and it says in this scripture, in, in riding on a donkey's colt. And so a donkey is a sign of royalty, believe it or not. Um, it is a sign of humility and peace. And so by him riding this donkey means that he's not coming for war. Because if he was coming for war to siege the city, he would be coming in on a war horse. And so what he knows is the battle is already won. They don't know that. But so he's riding in, and Jennifer and I were talking last night because she taught that in kids this morning, and it says that, that he's riding on a donkey's colt. So baby, so, so basically he's, he's riding on a baby donkey. And so if you think about how small a donkey is, a grown man riding on a donkey looks weird. And so if you have a grown man riding on a baby donkey, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. But actually this donkey was, was, was probably a couple of years old, so almost full size. But when you think of the imagery of this, that someone who is victorious, that someone who is mighty is not gonna be riding into town on a baby donkey. He's gonna be riding in town on a massive white stallion war horse. But Jesus is taking the place of a servant, of a humble king, bringing peace. And so he is fulfilling the prophecy in this moment. And so Millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people are thinking that this is the moment that they've been waiting for, that they've been reading about in the prophets, that their king is finally coming to establish the kingdom once and for all to, to restore the throne of Israel, the, the rightful king, the new king, the all-powerful king. And in their mind, as much like you and I, it is a physical kingdom. They think that, that, that Israel is being restored. But it is greater than that. In November of last year, we did a series called Kingdom First where we talk about, like, like we understand democracy where everybody gets a vote. But when we operate in the kingdom of heaven, we don't really get a vote. We obey and we follow through. And so this kingdom that he's coming to establish is not the one that they're thinking about that's gonna have boundaries on land, but it's boundaries within the hearts and the lives of men. And the enemy that he's coming to save them from is not the Romans, it's not the Philistines, it's not any of these other neighboring nations that have invaded the children of Israel like time and time again. He is saving his people from the final enemy, which is sin and death. And for you and I that are in relationship with Jesus and we have, have accepted him as our king and our savior, we're not just folks that are on the bandwagon, or at least we shouldn't be. But sometimes we find ourselves just on a bandwagon, but he's called us to live something beyond that. He's called us to live something greater than that. And the reason why everyone is, is so excited is, is because they wanna be a part of something bigger than themselves, and that's what they see. And hopefully many of you who are here, you have a yearning on the inside of you to be a part of something that's bigger than you, that you can't fully understand or explain. And those of you who are serving on the A-team, you're a part of something bigger than you. But let me help you understand this. It's even bigger than Avenue Church. The people that we reach, the lives that are impacted, we may never know the impact that we're making on this side. And so the kingdom expands far beyond a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service on a Sunday morning. And what we try to do sometimes, we try to shrink God's kingdom into a nice shrink-wrapped package that we can carry around, but it is much greater 
And so here's what you and I, those of us who are following Jesus and we've made him his king, we have a responsibility because here's what happened with these disciples. He told two of the disciples, go get a donkey and bring it to me. They helped him get into the city. And so as his ambassadors, we're not just believers, we're not just followers. You know, the word Christian wasn't really even used until later in the book of Acts. But what Paul calls you and I, church, is we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives from his kingdom in this kingdom. And we have a responsibility. Paul says that as ambassadors, guess what? We have this message of reconciliation. And that's what this entry into Jerusalem is. It is the beginning of God's work in reconciling himself to his people. It's just the beginning of that. And it, it started with the disciples helping get Jesus into the city. Yeah, he could have walked. He could have, like, he could have been, like, the disciples been like, Jesus, it's only like two miles. You can walk. But then he wouldn't have been fulfilling the prophecy, which makes him who he is. And so here's what the disciples did. He did the, they, they did this first, and this is what you and I have to do. We have to do what Jesus says. We have to do what Jesus says. It's plain and simple. It's another word that we like to use, and I talk about this maybe every two or three months because it is at the center of what, how we live as believers. It's this one word. Guess what it is? It is obedience. Obedience is simple, but it's not easy. Obedience is simply doing what Jesus says. And so for these two disciples, they were to go into town and steal a donkey. And so I don't know if this was like Grand Theft Donkey or like, or if Jesus knew, if he had a conversation with the guy. I don't, like, we don't, we don't know that. But what we do know is that the disciples were obedient and their obedience got Jesus into the city and he was glorified as a result. Your obedience, guys, gets Jesus into the city. Your obedience gets Jesus into your family. Your obedience gets Jesus into your conversation, into your relationships. Your obedience gets Jesus into your family's lives. And it can be something so very simple that you think, that's not that big a deal. So who is it and that, that, that God is calling you to bring Jesus into their life? Um, what is God asking you to do? What is he asking you to untie and bring to him? What neighbor is he asking us to love? What neighbor is he asking us to serve? He says to love your neighbor as how? Yourself. But then in Jesus' final conversation with his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give you, to love your neighbor as I have loved you. What neighbor is he asking you to forgive Maybe give, serve, and love is all in the same person that's wounded you and hurt you greater than you could ever fully pull into words. But when Jesus calls us to be obedient, he's not wanting us to ask questions. He's wanting us to obey because obedience is, is greater than sacrifice. And sometimes we think we can do extra credit to kind of make up for what he's asked us to do to begin with. But he wants us to be obedient. And in order for us to do what Jesus says, we have to do some things. We have to see what Jesus sees. And we see in this passage in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, as he's traveling and, and, and they're like, picture this. The crowd is around him. They're chanting. They're singing. They're throwing their garments on the ground. It says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. In the midst of all this celebration, in the midst of all this singing and all this cheering, something that he saw, something that he felt brought him 
to tears. And Matthew 9, 36 is one of my favorite verses in, in the Gospels. Um, Jesus is looking at the crowd and says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, and you know, you go out in the busyness and, and Christmas shopping and you see all the crowds and you just think it's just a bunch of crazy people, right? And so we all have those crowds in our life that we just see them on the surface. But Jesus looks past the crowd, looks past the surface, and he sees what's going on on the inside of them. When I was growing up, we had these 3D posters and books that I used to like want to get at the book fair called Magic Eye. Anybody old enough to remember those? A few people were like, yeah, they were amazing. <laughs> Google it. It's actually a website that looks really cheesy now. But what, what these posters and these books were is it was basically just shapes and colors, shapes and colors. It's kind of all overlaid each other. But the rumor was that if you stared at them long enough, a 3D picture popped out. And so I would go, my parents loved going to the flea markets. And so we would go to the flea markets and they would be selling these everywhere for the span of like a year. And so I would be like, I want to see what's in, like, I want to see the 3D picture. And so I would stand there and just stand there and look. And the guy would just tell me, he's like, you, you have to look into the picture. And it's supposed to be like a, like, I almost said werewolf. That's not a thing. But like a, a wolf, a coyote howling at the moon. But to me, it's just blobs and shapes. And he's like, no, you have to look past the picture and look into the picture. I'm like, dude, it's like two-dimensional. I can't look in it. It's, it's reflecting. And so I stood there long enough. I'm just going to see when it's awkward for you guys how long I have to stand here because that's, that's what it felt like. People passing. I was like, I can't see it. I can't see it. He says, look into it. And so finally, I see the wolf start to come out. And I see the moon start to come over here. And there's this 3D image. And no matter where you move, you see it turn. And then there was another one that had like Bambi with butterflies flying around. And it was all these great, great images. And if you think about that in life, sometimes we just see people on the surface and we have to look into them to see how Jesus sees them. And being a youth pastor, it helped me be that and, and, and see that I got a bird's eye view because when I was in high school, we had this, I had this kid in my class. We were in the same grade and his name was, was Danny Joe. And Danny Joe was a stoner. Like he came to school every single day just smelling like weed and he was sleeping through his class and just like didn't do good in any of his classes, didn't care. And I thought that was, he, he, that's who he was. I thought that was the life he had chosen. And then I became a youth pastor about 10 years later. And I had this kid, Dusty, thanks. Dusty, I would pick him and his sister, Stormy. I'm like, what kind of names are those? <laughs> Dusty and Stormy. And so I would, I, I would pick them up and uh, smell like weed. He would sit on the back row and just thought, yeah, that's just, that's just the life you're living. And then one Wednesday night, I pick him up and he's got his, his, Cordless phone. You guys remember those? Some of you don't. Like, your cordless phone has been your cell phone. You've had it your entire life. You walk around with it. But he got on the church bus with his cordless phone. And it was before cell phones were really a thing. And one of his friends was like, dude, why did you bring your cell phone? Or why did you bring your telephone? And he said, because I don't want my dad calling my mom while I'm gone. 14-year-old kid. His mom was trying to get out of an abusive relationship with an abusive husband his dad, and he didn't want his mother being harassed while he was gone. And it clicked in that moment. Dusty was Danny Joe. Danny Joe was coming to school smelling like he probably because it was smoked at his house. 
he was probably sleeping through class because he was up all night for various reasons. And see, we take people at surface value. Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us has a battle that we're fighting, that we're facing, that we need the eyes of Jesus to look into so that we can see them. Because as we can see as he sees, then it's easier to do what he calls us to do. And then when we see what he sees, we have to be careful. And we have to also do this. We have to feel what he feels. Luke 19, 42 says, How I wish today you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. And see, it says that he wept. And I think part of the reason is he wept is he maybe realized at one point the folks around him didn't fully understand why they were cheering. He wept at one point because they were looking for peace one way, but he was bringing it another way. And he knew people were going to miss out because they were expecting it to come and to receive it the way they thought and the way that they wanted. And just imagine that. Like, it's just everyone's cheering and Jesus is weeping. And like, like I'm a crier. I will like cry at like a Sprite commercial and right, just tears. And so Jennifer look over at me. She's like, are you crying? I'm like, no, you're crying, right? But Jesus is like emotionally weeping. And some of them probably saw Jesus and thought, look at Jesus. He's so excited. He's about to be our new king. I was talking to Chris after first service. Like what, what, were going, what was going through the disciples' minds when they saw Jesus weeping? They probably thought it was tears of joy. And in one sense, it could be, but also reading this, because he, he goes on and he says, you're, you're missing it. You're going to be destroyed and you're missing it. Not a single brick in your city is going to be left, not overturned. You're missing it. How I wish you would understand the way of peace. And it says that he had compassion for them. And I want to ask us this question, guys, like, like in all seriousness, like what do we weep over? Like those of us who are following Jesus, like, like what do we weep over? Or have we just seen so much and experienced so much that we grow numb and callous to it? And we can come in, church, and we can sing our songs, and we can glorify, and look, that's all important. But when we see the world around, is there anything that we see that breaks our heart? I would have thought I'd done this first service, first time preaching it. But maybe some of us in here, our hearts have hardened just a little bit. They're callous just a little bit. There was a song when we were youth pastors by Hillsong United. It was called Hosanna, which is what was shouted on Palm Sunday. And there's a line in it that says, break my heart for what breaks yours everything I am for your kingdom's cause. What if, church, we would have that mentality and open our eyes to see what Jesus sees, open our hearts to feel what Jesus feels, ask God to break our heart. And that's, that's not a glamorous prayer, but what breaks his heart, guess what it should do? It should break our heart. Amen. What excites him should excite us. Right after Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and, and he, he flips over tables and he runs people out. And, and one perspective says that he went away and he made a whip and came back. You know when dad goes to like make a whip and come back, you're in trouble. Like there was, there was a couple times my dad was like, go get a switch. 
I was like, oh, that's gonna suck. And so, so I would go and I would get like a rotten branch. And so this one time I got a rotten branch and it was, it was pretty thick. It would have hurt, but he swung it. And as he swung it, it broke. That's how rotten it was. And so he's like, I'm gonna go get my own. And so it was not a good day in the house of more when he came back for that. And so you gotta figure Jesus sees everything that's going on and he goes away, takes time to make a whip. And when he goes in and he turns over the tables, the disciples say they remembered a psalm that says, my passion for your house consumes me. What passions of God consume us or do we allow the passions of the world to consume us more? What do we allow that breaks God's heart to break our heart as well? Because here's what happens. Indifference leads to inaction. When we grow callous and we grow numb and, and we get... We, we desire to be entertained and comfortable. We're keeping Jesus out of the city. The last thing is this, is we see taking place, share who Jesus is. So we do what Jesus says, we see how Jesus sees, we feel what Jesus feels, and then we share who Jesus is. In John's gospel, as he's describing this, in, in chapter 12, verse 17, he says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others all about it. They were telling stories about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet Jesus, because they had heard about the miraculous signs. And so people are there. Some people may not have even known like who Jesus was. Millions of people there, probably a few people didn't know. But then as he's coming to town, people are like, that's Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. Really? I haven't heard about that. Tell me more. And so they tell the story. And so people come out and it's like, hey, that's Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they begin talking about all these, these miracles and people come because of what they heard. And we see something very similar play out in John chapter four, where Jesus has a conversation with a woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, someone he wasn't supposed to like have any like connection with or talk to. And he has this conversation and turns her world upside down to the point that she leaves the well. She was there to get water. She leaves her bucket at the well and goes into the city and says, come see a man who's told me everything about myself. And it says that they poured out of the city to go see Jesus and they're listening to him. And then they ask him to stay for several days and a revival breaks out and, and, and they come to this woman after he stayed and they say this, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. You know what she was doing? She was witnessing. And that term, like, I know even as I said, you gotta be a witness. Some of you are like, ooh, that doesn't feel good, right? Because, because we have painted this picture of witnessing as something really complicated and only for the chosen few. Only for those who know their Bible inside and out, those who can quote the Roman road, those who are comfortable praying in public, those who are comfortable talking to crowds, that that's the only witnessing. This woman was married five times, living with someone that she wasn't married to and goes out and starts witnessing immediately. She didn't, she didn't take any Sunday school classes. She didn't do any Bible studies. She immediately went out and started telling people what Jesus had done in her life in that moment. And it says, people came to see for themselves. And they said, we not only believe because of what you said, but because of what we've seen. 
And so that's where it flips. That's where we take people, take Jesus into the city of people's lives when we are sharing those stories. And so like we went to FCA camp in high school and was so excited. I got to go and they told us at the beginning of the week that at the end of the week, we were going to have a beach day because it was at St. Simon's Island in Georgia. And so we're all like, man, can't wait till beach day. Can't wait till beach day. It's going to be incredible. And so beach day comes that Thursday morning and they tell us in Thursday morning chapel, oh, by the way, as you're going to the beach, you have to go out and witness to people and tell people about Jesus. I didn't go to the beach that day. I went back to the crib and played basketball all afternoon because I was terrified of feeling like I had to witness. But witness is just witnessing is just telling your story. If you're a witness in court, guess what you're doing? You're just telling what you saw and what you heard. And that's what 1 Peter tells us. 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Instead, worship Christ as Lord. And if someone asks about your hope. See, guys, people are watching us. People are listening to your conversation. I read kind of an like a chat thread one time. It was like, how many, I wonder how many people don't come to church because what they overhear other Christians saying in public. I wonder how many people don't come to church because they see how those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, ambassadors of his kingdom, how we treat our servers at the restaurants. And part of that is like, ah, but then it was like, oh, and when I heard that, I'm way more conscious now. Like, like our, our actions and our words have weight, people. Not just on how people view us, but how those of us who call ourselves Christians and following Jesus, our actions and our words carry weight on how they view him because we are his ambassadors in this kingdom. So what is our message communicating? And, and when we look at this, like scripture says that, that for us, he is the anchor for our soul. And I love being a pastor. And all I've done my entire life since I was like 23, 24 was vocational ministry. And for like after so long, it becomes a church bubble. And so like everybody you hang out with, is, they go to church. All your friends, they go to church. All your family, they go to church. And so you just have all these church friends. And one of the blessings that God gave me in the season, and I know one day you guys will be like, no more FedEx stories. I get it. For a year of my life when we moved here, I could not work in a church bubble. And God forced me into an, uh, an environment I hadn't been in in a long time. And I'll be honest, like I'm, I would love to find a way that I could pastor a church and still work a few hours at FedEx without all the back pain, right? Without all of that. But I loved being around, this may sound weird, but people in real life, in their real environment. I love hearing conversations that, man, burned my ears sometimes, honestly, <laughs> But then I love being able to circle back around and have a conversation and bring them truth, not necessarily preach scripture at them, but bring truth from the word of God that they might not have known. That's what we need. We need less pastors on stage and we need more pastors in the workforce. 
sharing. And so even, even yesterday, like I had this thought, it's like, how can I get around a bunch of heathens without going to a party, right? And so I was like, you know what? I love throwing axes and I'm pretty good at it. Let me see when the next axe throwing, like, and I'm not saying like all axe throwers in the league are heathens, right? But <laughs> some of you are like, what are you saying? <laughs> Let me go get my axe. No, that's not what I'm saying. But it's like most of them are at bars and there's nothing wrong with bars if you go to one, no shade, but I'm just like, probably there's gonna be people there that I wouldn't normally associate with it might not have. So how can I put myself around them? And I wanna ask you, how can you put yourself around people that aren't always in church so that you can get Jesus into their city, into their life, into their soul? And so, you know, we just finished this series and, and it's really like, I got some of the best feedback I've gotten on a series and looking and finding Jesus in the Old Testament and how these different characters foreshadowed Jesus' coming. It's, it's super cool to see how Isaac was a foreshadow of Jesus' greater sacrifice and, and David was a foreshadow of, of Jesus conquering our giants and, and we read the little stories and I sat in the chair. I was like, every story whispers his name and you know what's more important than every story in the Old Testament whispering his name? Is every story in your life whispering his name? Because people are going to hear your stories before they read about Abimelech, right? They're going to relate to you more than they relate to Mekes Shelzadek or any of the names that you can't pronounce, right? Because every story, guys, in your life, everything that you've been through, if you look, he's there. And that's all the woman at the well did as she went to the city and she said, Jesus is here. This is what he's shown me. This is what he said to me. So for those of you who have walked through seasons in the valley that you didn't think you would come out of, but you came out of, share that story of Jesus being with you in the valley. Because it's not the presence of the shadow that makes it the wrong road, but it's the presence of the shepherd that makes it the right road. For those of you who have walked through seasons of sickness and maybe you've even lost loved ones or been through horrendous relationship issues and you think, how am I ever gonna get to the end of that? But you get to the end of it and instead of just moving on to the next phase of life, recognize Jesus in that story so that you can share who Jesus is in your life. Because people will ask, how? How did you make it through? People will ask, what did you do? People will ask, why did you operate this way? And you can look back and say, it was Jesus here, and it was Jesus here, and it was Jesus here. Because it's in this season, guys, um, it's in this season, like this one-week window of Holy Week where, where Jesus enters the city for, for the last time. It's in this season that I believe something spiritually takes place behind the scenes that we don't know and we can't understand. But even like sociologists and scientists and all these like non-secular people or, or, or non-Christian people will tell you that, that this time of year, people are more open to going to church than any other time of the year. And the majority of them stats say somewhere around 70% are just waiting for a personal invite. But we get caught up in thinking, oh, I have to go witness. No, just start with an invite. Because then eventually they will come, and it's not, it's not me, but I want them to come and experience Christ where they're at. And then they will come back to you and say, we believe not just because of what you told us, but he is real. I have experienced him for myself. 
And so we have a responsibility, church, to do what Jesus says so that we can get people to him, so that we can get him into their lives, into their city, into their relationships. When we see things, we need to see it as he sees things. We don't need to grow callous and hard with all that's going on, and we need to share who he is in our life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just take a, just a quick inventory of, of our lives in this season. And maybe you're here today and you've got some things in your life that, that you need to work on obedience-wise. Maybe God's been, been pulling on you to, to go untie something and bring it to him, to surrender something, to go speak to someone, to go forgive someone, to serve someone, to pray for someone, to take a risk of faith, to, to do something small maybe. That small act of obedience could be the start of reconciliation between that person and their God. For some of us, maybe there's that individual at work or in our family that, man, we just get so frustrated with their personality and it's like they're, they're always making mistakes. They're always making bad decisions. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you Christ's eyes to see them as he sees them. real easy to go through life and to say that's how things are, but ask God to soften our hearts for what we see. Give us opportunities to share who he is. For some of you in here today, you're like, I don't, I don't have a relationship with Stephen. This is all great. Somebody invited me because they said the music was good. Jesus stands outside your city, outside your life, this is how I wish today you of all people would understand the way of peace. I believe he's saying that specifically to some of you in here today, that he's saying how I wish you of all people would understand the way of peace. And you've tried to work for peace in different ways, in different angles, and nothing seems to, to, to follow through. And that's part of the reason we started this church. We want people to experience the way of life they were created to live. And that starts with understanding and experiencing God's unconditional love. That's where the peace starts. And that starts with a conversation of surrender by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. And if that's you here today and you're lacking peace, your Messiah is here in this moment, humble victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and every sin you have committed, are committing, and will commit. He's taking care of it, and he's given you freedom and peace in this place. And if that's you today, and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, just in a moment, very quickly, you can lift your hand and put it right back down, just so that we can pray for you. not asking you to get everything together. He's already done all the work. He's not concerned about the outside. He's concerned about your heart. All right, look up here at me, guys. Incredible. Listen, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to pray over us as a church that we would be obedient in what God's calling us to do. But for those of us who, who lifted our hands, your conversation with Jesus is going to start like this. Jesus, I give you my life because he's already given you his. He asks for ours in return. And it's not gonna be
everything that you say, but it's gonna be the start of a conversation that will hopefully last your entire life and will grow and change and edify and encourage you. And you say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. I wanna follow you as as I can. And scripture says that in that moment when we accept his sacrifice, that he was crucified for our sins, that he was buried for our sins, that he rose again on the third day as we celebrate next weekend for our sins, that in that moment, Scripture says that, that all the old is gone and all things are made new, those who are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you entered the city of Jerusalem to start the reconciliation process between us and our Father. God, we thank you that you spent the week loving on your people, preparing yourself for what was to come, giving yourself as the final and perfect sacrifice, taking our death in exchange, giving us your life, taking our sin and giving us your righteousness. So Father, for those of us who have lifted our hands or our hearts, whether today or maybe sometime in the past days or weeks that say, I need a savior. I've tried to work for peace on my own, but I keep coming to dead end after dead end. Simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. God, I pray that in this moment, they would sense your presence, God, that they would feel a shifting in their spirit, God. God, that the voices that they've heard and the insecurities of they're unworthy, they're not good enough, they're always gonna mess up. God, that they will be silenced and hear the voice of a father that calls them loved, calls them favored, calls them righteous. Father, for the rest of us as your church, God, help us to keep our eyes open to see as you see. God, keep our hearts soft for the things that are going on around us. Not just to accept it, but to feel it. To be passionate about what you're passionate about, God. To hurt for what you hurt over. To weep for what you weep over. And God, I pray that for the next week, but especially beyond, even beyond, God, that, that you would put divine interruptions in our path divine opportunities where we can share where you're at in our story. Not just point them to a story of the Old Testament, but be a living story of your goodness before them so that they will believe not just because of something they heard from a pastor, but they will believe because they've experienced it themselves. So God, open our eyes, open our hearts. God, wrap your arms of love around those who have given their life to you. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.